This is Ride Every Stride, episode 34. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I am here today with Master Horseman Van Hargis. Welcome back, Van. How you doing? Hey, Laura. I'm wonderful. Thank you. And how's things with you? And how's things in North Texas? Uh, it's warming up. We've had a, we had a few cold days as we're recording this, but it, it warmed up today, so I'm happy. Good for you guys. You know, my mom told me about that, and I was so glad that I was down here in South Texas. Although it came down here too, but we got down in like to the 30s, whereas she was talking about it was quite a bit colder than that. Yeah, we were and in the teens. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, it's just amazing. How, uh, how that can happen, especially in the same state. You know, you guys yeah. are in the teens there, and we're still in the 30s down here. But nonetheless, I tell you what, Laura, um, I'm, I'm really excited about today. You know, every time I do a presentation, every time I do, uh, whether it be a speech or a clinic or an expo presentation of some sort, I love referencing my heroes. And uh, so today, we're actually going to share a story with you guys about about one of my heroes. Um, and, and you know him. You've heard me talk about him enough times, but Mr. Ray Hunt. And... um kind of excited about it today. <laughs> well, good. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> well, many years ago, um, I was actually doing a clinic in the Colorado area. And on my way home, I happened to stop at a feed store. And while I was at that feed store, I noticed that, hey, there was a, a Ray Hunt clinic going on during the week as opposed to the weekend. I always did my stuff on the weekends and some of these other guys would do their stuff during the week. So from where I was, it was probably only about 20 minutes out of my way. So I decided I was going to swing by there and see what was going on. And uh, and I had met Ray personally, oh, maybe a two or three years before that. And we had a pretty good conversation. But the, the last thing I ever dreamed of is that he would remember who I was. Well, nonetheless, I pulled up there to the clinic and uh, quite a few people there, in fact. I mean, the, the, the clinic was definitely a sellout. There's a lot of folks. And the arena was just full of people. And when I walked up there. I guess Ray noticed that I showed up late and I showed up pulling a horse trailer and I'm sure he was thinking, oh my goodness, another one. But he, he recognized me and he came over and he asked, he said, hey, what, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just headed home, but I just noticed you guys had a clinic. and I wanted to stop by and visit and say hello and kind of see if I could learn something. Well, would you mind helping me? He said, heck yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, that was going to be awesome. I'm going to get to actually help out. And, and and really, the only reason he needed me or only reason he wanted me is that he literally had too many people sign up for this particular clinic. And as a result, um, he just wanted somebody to kind of help entertain the people, ask a few questions and direct questions to him because there were just so many people there. I mean, I'm going to say probably 30 to 40 riders, if you can imagine. And, um, and, and he just couldn't keep everybody busy. And he didn't want anybody to feel that they weren't getting their, their due attention. So, uh, and I did. So I visited with different people and talked a little bit, but I never once kind of went over Mr. Hunt. I let him do all the teaching, everything else. I just kind of asked questions and, or answered questions along the way. Well, that night for my payment, I guess you could say, not that I was expecting anything, but he did ask if I would go have supper with he and his wife. And of course I said, yes. I said, heck yeah. So I just kind of put my journey home off until the following morning. That night though, Laura, when we were having supper, 
we didn't really talk much, and I was kind of disappointed. I mean, I'm thinking I'm going to get to be in, you know, in the in the in crowd with my hero here, you know, and hang out. But in all honesty, that the visiting aspect of that was pretty much disappointing. I mean, I had shared a few words with Miss Carolyn, which was his wife, but apart from that, not a whole lot of conversation was going on with Ray. I would ask him a question, it was like yes or no, and and I wasn't smart enough then to ask him an open open ended question to get his opinion on something. Um, so it was just very short conversation and needless to say, I was feeling very awkward, you know, in the presence of one of my heroes and not knowing what to say. And every time I did say something, it was very short, very brief. And we got kind of quiet for a moment. And and again, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, this is incredibly awkward. I wish I could think of something. And as I'm thinking that Ray puts a big old bite of steak in his mouth and points his fork at me kind of funny and says, you know, Van, the horse is always right. And I'm thinking, wow, this is cool. We're we're going somewhere. <laughs> at least at least he said something. He he initiated the conversation. But at the same time, I'm thinking, man, he obviously hadn't worked with some of the horses I've worked with. <laughs> he thinks all, <laughs> you know, the horse is always right. But I knew him well enough to know that there's something behind that. And I said, well, I guess so, Mister Hunt. But tell me more. What do you what do you mean by that? And he got kind of quiet again and kind of started moving his food around on his plate. And he looks up at me a moment later and says, well. The horse is always right because he's either doing what comes natural to him or he's doing what he thinks you want him to do. But either way, he's right. And I thought for the longest, and honestly, I was just dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. I was like, wow, okay, I can kind of semi-understand that. But it really just got the cogs and the wheels turning in my brain to think, wow, what is he? what was the real meaning of that? And the more I thought about it, and, and I know it sounds really weird, but I guess, you know, being you know, a, a, a marketing student in school, I remember that little cliche, and I'm sure we've all heard it, that the customer's always right. Yeah. So that was the first thing that came to my mind. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm kind of thinking some argumentative thoughts in my mind, like, well, what do you mean the customer's always right? In this case, the horse is always right. Just because the horse is protesting or just because the horse doesn't agree or just because the customer doesn't agree doesn't necessarily make him right. We just don't want to argue with him because then we're going to lose the customer. So I mean, these types of arguments are going through my mind. I couldn't resist thinking about that almost the entire way home, which was several hours before I finally got home the following day. And as I got home and, and settled for a day or two, I began to work with some more horses. I couldn't help but to think about that seed that he planted in my mind about the horse always being right. But the more I got to practicing about it and the more I got to thinking about it, I got to thinking that is so true, isn't it? Because the horse is right in the sense that Anything that he does, he's just going to do what comes natural to him. If we like what he's doing, then we have to have the courage and the discipline to leave him alone. If he's not doing what we're wanting him to do, then it's because we're miscommunicating it. It's not because he has some ill intention or that he's, you know, thinking that he's going to do something to aggravate us or piss us off or whatever the case may be. He has no ill intention like that. Horses don't think that way. So he's only doing what he thinks we want him to do. So if he's not doing what we want, then it has nothing to do with him as much as it does with our ability to communicate. And that's that's a lesson that I think that is uh, so valuable to those of us who want to aspire to be better and better horsemen. We really have to look at, and kind of goes back to my website, when people ask, you know, what does it mean when you say you're training from the horse's perspective? Well, in a way, this is it. We're training from the horse's perspective because we're trying to see things from his point of view and understand that he really wants to get along with us. There's nothing There's nothing in it for the horse 
to not get along. Everything in his instincts of survival tells him to either protect himself and get away from us or to get along with us. So if he's not getting along or if we're, if we're not getting along, it really has nothing to do with the horse at that stage other than using the horse as kind of a measuring stick of how well we communicate. So we have to continue to throw it back on ourselves, don't we? We have to continue to throw it back on ourselves and, wow, if I'm not getting what I want, maybe I need to break it down a little bit better. Maybe I need to communicate it a little bit better. Maybe I need to, to analyze what it is that I truly want better so that I can communicate that better. And it's amazing how every time we try to point the finger at the horse, we really have to consider looking more closely at ourselves. Well, that's, I mean, I've heard you talk about this before, and it's a, it's a really interesting thing to think about both what he said and kind of the interpretation that you put with it. I wanted to ask, when you talk about the horse, um, you know, it's either doing what comes naturally to it or it's doing what it thinks you want it to do, that latter one, the doing what it thinks you want it to do, it's not because, well, let me back up. You said they don't have an ill intent. They're not fighting us just to be obnoxious. It's also not doing what it thinks you want it to do because it wants to please you, but because it wants to be left alone, right? Yeah. It. I mean, basically the horse has one thing, and it's hard for us to grasp this, but the one thing that's triggering that horse to respond and react in any way is just the, the keen sense of survival. Mm-hmm. And when I say survival, I'm not always talking about life or death. Sometimes I'm talking about just efficiency. You know, yeah. God created these animals to be incredibly efficient. Now, if we know that, then man, that makes our job even easier because I'm going to go back to another quote that actually Tom Dorrance came out with several years ago. Ray Hunt popularized it and made it very popular. But the quote was, make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. Now, why is that? Why why is that so applicable? Well, it's so applicable because if we make the right thing easy because we understand that that's the horse's nature to be efficient, and let's say another why, why is that horse so efficient? It's because they've got this great big giant body with a little bitty fuel tank, in other words, a little bitty stomach, which is why horses, like other grazers, graze a lot. In other words, they graze constantly. They're constantly putting fuel into that fuel tank. They're constantly getting nutrients and they're constantly getting energy from the food that they consume, whether it be grass, hay, the grain that we feed them or whatever the case may be. So because they've got this great big body, which requires a tremendous amount of energy. I mean, when you consider the density and the size of horses' muscles, there's a tremendous amount of energy required for this horse just to function. Well, But when you consider the little practical joke that God played on and make their little stomach so little, (laughs) then you've got to realize they've got to continually stop in and refuel that fuel tank. So by nature, you see, they have to be very efficient. Well, if we know that as communicators and as trainers, and sometimes I've gotten to the point now where, Laura, I hate to even refer to to us as trainers, but, you know, that's a common term we're all learning to deal with. But really, we're just communicators. We're just communicating something that we want with the horse. And in this case, we're communicating hopefully what we want to achieve with the horse. Our goal then would be to make that appear to the horse to be easy and efficient compared to the alternative. So if the horse is is wanting to survive, wanting to be efficient, and we want it to, to do something, let's say it's in a round pen and we want him to move to the left, we want to make it more work for him to go to the right so that going to the left is the easy decision. 
And after a while, the horse will will do everything in his power to do the easy thing because that's what he's learned from us is not only the most efficient, but it's also the thing that gets us to leave him alone, like you said. Yeah. So and after that's what a while, I mean the horse, by the leave, leaving it alone yeah. because its instinctive urge is to conserve energy. And so it's looking for the easiest path. And you've talked about that in lots of other contexts and lots of your other quotes that, that that's what drives them, not consciously, but that's just their instinctual behavior is to conserve energy, look for the easiest path to get where it, where it wants to go. And so, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying and the point of what Mr. Hunt said. And so if that's the case, does that then mean that if the horse is not doing what we want, and I think this is what you said, it's because we haven't communicated what we want to the horse in a way that it can understand. And therefore, our job is to become a better communicator to the horse by being, as you have been your whole life, a student of the horse. Exactly. And you know, as we're talking, I can't help but to think about those four questions that we're, that I'm always telling mm-hmm. folks to ask themselves. And one of those questions, of course, is, you know, are you, are you communicating in a way that the horse can understand? It makes yeah. no difference if we fully understand what it is that we want. No matter what the horse does, if it's not what we want, he's still right because he's doing what he thinks we want. Therefore, we have to help change his thought. We have to help him realize that what he's doing is less efficient than what it is that we're asking them to do. And it's all it takes on us is just a little bit of stop so that we can kind of regain our composure and, and think a little bit. I mean, I heard it said the other day that baseball and horsemanship's thinking man's game. You know, they're not really spectator sports. They're both they're both thinking man's games. You really have to slow down and think your way through it and you enjoy it even more when you begin to practice that that idea and that concept of thinking. Because it does. It requires a lot of thought on our part to think about the horse, his instincts, and then what it is that we want from the horse. What do we want to gain? What do we want him to do? And then once we determine that, we've got to figure out a way to communicate it. And that's the coolest part, I think, about the horsemanship is that it's always a reflection back on us. Ever how good or how bad our horse is, it is a direct reflection on our ability to communicate and to get along with the horse and understand the horse. Ouch. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love the way now you, you see said why that. I find, I, I, yeah, yeah. But now you now you see why I find so much humor when somebody walks up to me and the first thing they want to do is complain about their horse. <laughs> I, I look them dead square in the eye, and in my mind, I'm thinking I've got to bite my tongue and be nice. But I'm really thinking you're really telling me that you have very limited ability to communicate. And to break things down in a way that the horse can understand it. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that not everybody was blessed with the ability to be around horses a lot. And there are certain things that we all have to learn how to do along the way. But what's even worse is, well, I've been around horses all my life. And then I'm thinking, well, boy, you just screwed your credibility up even more. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of, I'm thinking, did, it's, did you not learn something in all those years? I mean, geez. <laughs> it's sort of like as you were talking about that, I was thinking, I, I think that same thing when I hear somebody complaining and bad-mouthing their husband or their wife, I think, well, you picked that person. So what does that say yeah. about your judgment? Exactly. I mean, that's the, it is the same thing. And it really, it, it, it is, I mean, that's the coolest really part about any kind of relationship. That's the coolest part about that is that, you know, it really takes that interaction now, the good thing about the horses versus dealing with people is that um, 
humans oftentimes have other motives, whereas yeah. horses don't. Their main motive is, you know what? I just want to get along and survive. What's the easiest thing we can do to get along and survive? Now, as soon as I say that, too, about horses just want to be quiet and they just want to be still, I'm going to have somebody out there you know, screaming at me going, you don't know my horse. My horse just loves to run. It was or or better it was it was bred to run it was a thoroughbred or it was bred to run it was uh, an arabian or whatever and i'm thinking you know either way it's still a horse either way god created it with a great big body in comparison to its itty bitty little stomach and even though some may have been bred to have bigger lungs and bigger hearts than others bottom line is they still have that predator or prey animal instinct which is you know what? I've got to survive so that in case anything truly threatens me, I can get away from that thing. I've got to conserve this energy now so that I can get away later. I mean, that was so inbred in horses long before man ever showed up. So as long as we can understand that and understand that, yes, there are certain breeds that have more stamina. There are certain breeds that have, you know, calmer, quieter natures, whatever that case may be. But instinctually, they're pretty much all the same. And if and once we kind of buy into that and we realize now it's just a communication issue. And just like with people, horses, there are some horses that are easier to communicate with than others. Um, you know, I had a big discussion recently in regard to older horses versus younger horses. And I said, well, the difference is that horses don't really study the calendar and they don't fret over the fact that, oh, my goodness, honey, I'm getting older. Can you see the lines in my face? I mean, horses don't think about that. They they just they don't think about calendar days or years. They just kind of go from one day to the next. The other cool thing about horses is they have no idea that they're ignorant to our ways. <laughs> so it doesn't really make any difference if he's a two-year-old or an eight-year-old. He has no knowledge of what he doesn't know. Now, granted, because he's been a horse for a little bit longer, you know, let's say he's an eight-year-old versus a two-year-old, then he's been doing horsey-like things without the intervention of human-like things for a longer period of time, which means that we might have to work a little bit harder to communicate to that horse. But as far as his knowledge or his ignorance, that is pretty much the same as a two-year-old that doesn't know and the eight-year-old that doesn't know. So, you know, as as we were talking about what you wanted to cover in this episode and, and the the quote that you got from Mr. Hunt and, and all of that. And it really seems to come down to this issue of communication and learning how to communicate to the horse in a way that it can understand. Do you have any, I don't know, some practical suggestions for somebody who wants to become a better communicator with their horse? Are, are there things they should be doing or... How do you do that? How do you, I mean, you've spent your life studying horses and how they, you know, learning how they interact with each other and, and all those things. But what can somebody who's, who's wanting to learn to communicate better with her or his horse, what can they do now to get better at that? First of all, and it's probably going to be the most difficult. The first of all is just to erase all the crap that people or yourself have put into your brain about what horses do and what horses think. And then at the same time, also take out all the crap, and I hate to use that word, but I'm just going to just put it out there like it is, of what we think we know about this particular horse or that particular horse. In other words, what I'm saying is go and watch and observe a horse, whether that be yours or somebody else's, totally objectively. Mm. 
In other words, let the horse talk to you and don't let the neighbor's rumors talk to you. Don't let his preconceived suggestions or whatever else come to you. Just look the horse at what he is and look at him as an absolute blank slate. Because remember, we've also talked about horses live in the moment. And it's not that they don't learn habits from other people. But the thing is that if you walk into the picture of a horse that somebody else owned, and if you walk in there and you start communicating to him as if he is an absolute blank slate, I promise you, you will probably have more success with that horse than you would if you sat down and read his history. Hmm. Because if you read his history, I don't think that horse ever picked up a pen or a typewriter or a cell phone and typed out his history or wrote down his history. So that's, you're reading the opinion of another, which in turn could influence your opinion. So the first step that I would tell someone is go and and evaluate the horse totally objectively. Don't take any preconceived ideas to that observation point, whether it be in a stall or an arena or a round pen, whatever that case may be. And then the next thing would be is, and it's oftentimes the hardest, what do you want? And... Once we determine that, then we have to ask ourselves, well, is what I want fair? In other words, if I want the horse to walk a circle to the left, can I communicate that? In other words, can I take away the right so that the left is the easiest and the most obvious thing for the horse to do? And and let's say the horse just takes that one step to the left. Stop right there. The journey just got started. So stop for a moment and let the horse realize that he did the correct thing. And at the same time, give yourself a pat on the back. Because if he did what you wanted him to do, you must have done a pretty darn good job of communicating to him. Mm. So once we start that process, it just continues to build. And before you know it, our wants can get more specific. Our wants can actually get more complicated. But we have to start somewhere. You know, you've heard me use the analogy before that when you're in the kindergarten or first grade or whatever the kids start learning to read these days, you don't start off with a King James version of the Bible. Hmm. You know, for those of us who are old enough, we'll remember the Dick and Jane books. You know, you learn the ABCs, the one, two, threes, and then you learn to read, recognize the letters and put together a word. And then you learn to read a, uh, you know, two words together, three words together, and eventually you read a paragraph and so on and so forth until eventually once you read enough and you get what good enough at reading, then you can eventually graduate to the King James version. But nonetheless, in the beginning, we've got to keep it incredibly simple, both for the horse's sake. But as I say all the time for me, I love to keep things simple for my sake. I love to win. I don't like to lose. So I don't want to start off with a game that I can't win. I want to start off with a game that I can get pretty darn good at winning and just keep developing those skills from there. So those would be the first two steps. Number one, erase all your preconceived notions of what you think you know. And start with a blank slate with a horse. Secondly, start with yourself doing something incredibly easy and then gradually building your way up. Because you have to remember too, Laura, that in order for communication to be successful, there's got, it's got to be a two-way street. There's got to be the one that's actually doing the communicating. In other words, one that's actually saying something, for lack of a better term. And then there also has to be a listener. But before you know the two came together successfully is when you both are on the same page. So that's what we have to realize as well. Yeah, that ability to, you know, communicate intentionally and with thought what it is you want and then watch to see what what comes back to you and evaluate it without, you know, 
in the case that we're talking about, without getting mad at the horse if it didn't do what you wanted, but just to be, or mad at yourself for that matter. There's nothing to be gained from getting mad at yourself for not doing it right. And I'm using air quotes there, but to evaluate what you got back and adjust your method of communication, I guess, um, going forward until you get the result you're looking for. It's a a learning process that I've heard you say, even for all the years that you've been doing it, you're still learning. And, you know, and it all comes from that being open-minded enough and objective enough to keep learning from your horse as much as what you're trying to teach. Right. And what you'll learn, like with anything else, you know, what you'll learn as you do that and as you keep those ears open to what the horse is trying to communicate back to you, so that you can use that as a measuring stick of how well you're doing. That, but by doing that, you learn over time to communicate better. You learned what works, what works best, what works. And, and I, I call it a bag of tricks. And you take these things that work for you and you put that in your bag of tricks. Before you know it, those are your common things. Those are the things that, that you feel comfortable with doing. Those are the things that you feel comfortable in saying. And over time, you learn to develop, just like we do when we're, we're, we're young, you develop a better vocabulary. A better vocabulary helps you become a better communicator. So it's it's the, to me, it's the same process. The more you work at it, the more you practice at it, the more you have fun with it, and the more you experience it, then the better you get at doing so. And the end result is you start getting people that brags about your horses. Wow, I really like the way this horse is working for you. And it's amazing to me how everybody gives credit to the horseman. But yet any good horseman says, well, I learned a lot from that horse. He taught me a lot. I really learned a lot from old Scooter. I really learned a lot from old Nick. Or I really learned a lot from old Vanna. You know, she's a good little mare. In other words, we learn a lot from those experiences. You know, just today, Laura, I had another friend from Colorado send me three videos he wanted me to watch. It was the first ride, second ride, and third ride. And the first ride went really well. Second ride went okay. Third ride was a freaking train wreck. The guy got bucked off pretty badly. And all I could say to him is, is that just learn from those mistakes. What was the communication that the horse was trying to tell you that you chose to ignore? And as a result, you got in a train wreck with the horse. Now, the same thing happens with us, doesn't it? You know, that sometimes you walk in the house and, you know, the you might be in a bad mood and somebody comes in and just says the wrong thing. Well, if they weren't watching, they probably could have told by your body language that you might not have been in the best of mood and don't talk to me right now. So we have to realize that part of communication is being very much and keenly aware. And that's the way horses communicate to us is through their body language. Mm -hmm. So we have to be able to read that and understand that those are words coming back to us. And that just as all great communicators, all great communicators are just as good at listening as they are about telling or verbalizing. So we have to be, we have to recognize that from the horses as well. How are they talking back to us? Yeah. And once we begin to get really good at listening to it, we understand that, wow, success rates increase. Mm -hmm. So the burden's really on us. That's what I love about what Mr. Hunt said. You know, the horse is always right. And and again, I'm I'm, the first instinct you think, well, wait a minute. No, he's not. But yes, (laughs) he is. If you think about the second part of that quote, and the second part of the quote is, The horse is always right because he's either doing what comes natural to him or he's doing what he thinks you want him to do. Either one, if it's not what you want, it's up to you to communicate differently. So that's the burden on us. Yeah. 
Boy, and there are so many lessons uh, to be learned from this. So many, you know, the student in me, there are so many directions I'd love to go with this, but we don't want to make this a three-hour-long podcast. And so I think we'll just... uh, let it rest there. The lessons that we can learn from commun- learning to be better communicators with our horses, all the same things you've said, obviously, apply to us as human beings in our interactions with each other. And that would be another podcast another time. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. Right. Um, all I can I know, say to that one is, yeah. thank God I deal with horses. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, granted when, you know, we do a lot of the, we do a lot more with people and everybody knows that I do it because I love the people. The horses are the vehicle that gets me there. But man, I've got to say that over the years I've learned that horses are truly easier to, <laughs> to, to work with, you know, and, and yeah. I, I say that with all due respect, but I mean, man, I just, I'm amazed with people who, who have to deal with the public even more so than what, what I do. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, anyway, great lessons to be learned. Great, a uh, lot of food for thought in this episode. And I'm guessing that there are people listening who, who may have questions, um, and, and want to learn more. And as always, uh, you, I know you're more than happy to answer questions. There are lots of ways that listeners can communicate with Van, and that's, um, you know, you can leave a comment on the show notes on the website at vanhargis.com. Look for episode 34. Uh, you can also communicate with Van on the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page. The, leave a post there, and he'll be he watches that and responds when he as soon as he can. If you've got questions or comments or suggestions for the show, whether about this, you know, what, what we've talked about today or anything else, you can also email Van at info at vanhargis.com, and he, he loves hearing from listeners. If you uh, enjoyed this episode or any other episode, we really want to spread the word, and maybe you can help us do that. Uh, if you've got horse-loving friends, Tell, tell your friends about Ride Every Stride. Show them how to subscribe in iTunes or in the, the podcatcher on their phone. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider leaving a review of the show on iTunes. That really helps in a couple of ways. Van appreciates the feedback. It helps him develop the show and make it better. But the more people who leave reviews in iTunes, the more visible the show becomes, and that means more people will hear about it. So uh, I know Van appreciates your help in that respect. Um, Van, uh, before we sort of start wrapping things up, I know you've got some events coming up. Anything you want to tell listeners about? You betcha, Laura. I mean, I'm excited. This is the second or third. This is a third year coming up, uh, not third year consecutively. This is the third time that we've gone to the Denver market. It was uh, basically, it's also called WISA, which is the um, oh, the Western English Sales Association, but we all just call it the Denver market. I've been asked to be the communicator there. This is the uh, two presentations, I think it is. But again, this is my third present uh, presence there. Big time excited about that. That's coming up in the middle of January. In fact, it's going to be January the 13th through the 17th this year. And also something that's kind of cool is we've got a couple of visitors, one in particular coming all the way from New Zealand that's going to come and spend some time with us. And we're going to have some more room at the ranch. So we want to encourage anybody that wants to come down, maybe if you live in a cold state and you want to come someplace where it's a little bit warmer, we're going to have a little bit of time that we're going to be receiving guests to come into the ranch and spend a few days or a week or maybe even longer with us. Um, and that's going to start in, uh, 
February and the first two weeks of March, Laura, they can come in and spend a little bit of time. We had another guy come in, uh, spend some time with us from New York not too long ago. He had a blast. We had a blast. It was really fun. Um, and we're going to start inviting more uh, or opening our ranch up, I guess you could say, to more guests from afar and just letting them come in and visit with us, ride with us, ask as many questions that they want to ask. And they can con- if they're interested in that, they can just contact us at info at vanhargis.com to see what all's involved with uh, with coming to the ranch and riding with us and spending some time with us. And again, I, my heart goes out to those who are living in some pretty tough, cold environments. We, One of my buddies is in Wyoming. Uh, he hasn't been able to ride now for well over a week. It's been below zero. Uh, thank goodness he does have an indoor arena, but even the indoor arena is incredibly cold. As I thought about that, I thought, you know what? Here we are. We're so blessed to have 60, 70 degree weather most of the winter time. Occasionally, I freeze to death because it gets down in the 50s. But, you know, comparison, or by comparison, 50s is pretty darn warm compared to sub-zero temperatures. So we want to invite people to come down and spend some time with us and ride with us. So that's going to be available again February through the first two weeks of March. Yeah, that's a great time to be in South Texas. (laughs) You bet, (laughs) right. Great weather down there. You can get a lot of information, obviously, folks can, by visiting the website. And I know you're real proud of the the new website that went up uh, this fall. And so be sure and check out all the offerings there at vanhargis.com. There's a store there where you can pick up products that Van uses and endorses and in many cases has personally designed. Um, But there's also a little bit of information there about your new Top Hand Club. And we've talked about that some in some past episodes. But uh, tell the listeners a little more about what's going on with the Top Hand Club. The Top Hand Club, Laura, is like a, if, if you could just imagine an endless list, if you will, endless library of videos of little training videos and they're they're everything from some little clips from old videos that we've done to stuff that we literally just shot just a couple of weeks ago and we're constantly editing those and we're uploading new videos every week so our goal is we're going to stay way ahead of the purge curve so we know a lot of folks get on there watch several videos at a time our goal is to stay ahead of that so they can they can watch all sorts of videos on everything from picking up a horse's feet to to helping them overcome flying lead changes. I mean, just everything you could imagine. So we're really excited about uh, about those types of things that are available on our website. But also, let me say this. You mentioned our store. Right now, on our saddles in particular, our saddles we've just now put on the on the store, and we're offering $100 off the, off the regular retail price of our saddle. But keep in mind that if you are a Van Hargis Top Hand member, you get an additional 10% off of everything that we've got. So anybody right now that's even remotely thinking about getting a saddle for yourself or for your spouse or for a friend or whatever the case may be, it's it's the perffect time to do it because we're not only get the hundred dollars off, but you get an additional ten percent off of that. So you're looking at close to three hundred fifty dollars worth of discounts there if they act between now and January. So I know we're running out of time for that, but we do want to extend that invitation to people. And if they're interested, go to that website, let us know, and we'll make sure we get those saddles ordered and shipped out to you. Yeah, so there you go. The Top Hand Club is a basically a subscription club. You pay a, a monthly subscription fee to get access to all this content that Van is putting up. This is something Van has been working on for years, launched this fall, and... Um, a great a great resource for those of you who want to be students of the horse, who want to be better horsemen and horsewomen, uh, a great deal. And those who the the people who get on join the club early, 
not only get all the benefits of it, the, the access to the library, the discounts on the, the things that are sold in the store, discounts on tickets and admission to events in the future, but you also can get a, a special price that uh, will save you a bunch of money and it'll, you know, the discounts will pay for it pretty quickly. So you want to look into that. Uh, go to vanhargis.com and look for the Top Hand Club button to learn more about that. Uh, I'm thinking that's it. Van, anything else? I can't think of a thing, Miss Laura. I've said this before. I, I'm going to continue to say it because, you know, I, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to, to be able to work with you and John. But at the same time, um, I'm even more grateful to those folks who listen and encourage us to keep doing the podcast and, and for those who visit us whenever we go to various venues. But, uh, Laura, I just want to extend that, that appreciation to anybody and everybody out there that can hear it because really from the depths of my heart, I'm incredibly grateful and we're very appreciative to those listeners. But, um, for now, Laura, I just kind of want to end, I guess, by just not only saying a big thank you to everybody, but having them to understand that think about this, the, the title of the podcast today, that the horse is always right. That's a great thing to remember. So until next time, this is Van Hargis with Ride Ever Stride and it's your ride, your trail. It's your journey, so ride every stride.